0: Welcome back, everybody. Hope you are doing well and making the best of your quarantine days. Here we are midway through April and we're all still on lockdown. Things are changing every day and I think we are going to be experiencing this for a lot longer than may have been expected. We have some people saying that it might go on all the way until September, which is crazy, but I am trying to see the silver lining in everything and so grateful to be at home with my partner and enjoying nature and going for walks and cooking good food together and just spending more quality time together taking lots of time to connect with friends and with family and slowing down and also I'm really grateful for having an online business and being able to connect with so many women and people globally and to be able to still support them and we've gotten a lot of comments from our resetters who are in our reset program right now and you know, one of the common things I see showing up is this lack of motivation. And so if you're currently feeling that right now and not feeling motivated to get on track with your health and with your with your wellness and your diet and hormones and all of that, you know, it's important that you, you recognize that motivation isn't something that you can just kind of grab out of thin air. Really, motivation will precede action. You have to get into action. It's imperfect action. Just go and take it and do it. Go to the gym, go for the walk, start moving your body. The next meal that you cook includes some healthier foods. Like you just have to take action, and it's in doing the action that that motivation will come, right? I mean, so many of us, myself included, how many times have we experienced Going to the gym and you know, you don't want to go to the gym and you're not feeling it, and you're tired, and you're just blah, and you just don't want to do it. And then you start working out, and you know, 10, 15 minutes into your workout, you're feeling it, you're you're energized, and you feel that motivation, the inspiration. And I always find when I'm working out, I have so many creative ideas. So it's in the moving, it's just doing it, just taking the imperfect action. That's where you're going to find the motivation. But the longer you sit around and have these thoughts going through your head and start overthinking about oh you should work out and you should you you should you do this and you should do that and you know, the longer you keep having this conversation with yourself, the farther it's going to actually pull you away from taking that action. So you just kind of have to get up and go and do it. And so speaking of our reset program, it is on sale right now for just a few more days. We've had registration open for a few weeks, we've lowered the price, we have payment plans available, and we are here to support you and guide you in the best way possible to eating delicious food, nourishing your body, cooking amazing homemade meals for you and your family. If you're struggling with sugar and craving and carb addictions right now and wait, come and join us in the program because it is really, really going to support you in the best way possible. And you are going to love our community and get lots of support. And it will be an amazing way to really find that time right now for self-care. It's such an important time right now that I really hope you're implementing more of is that self-care and that time for yourself and um, come and join us there. We'd love to help you. So registration is open until this Friday. You can grab the savings and you can also get on the six-month payment plan, which is really inexpensive. So head on over to holisticwellness.ca forward slash metabolic reset to join us there. All right. So today, our episode, it's a really juicy one. I am interviewing Nicole Jardin. She is a certified women's health coach, writer, speaker, mentor, and the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health using a method that combines evidence-based information with simplicity and sass. Her work has impacted the lives of tens of thousands of women around the world in effectively addressing a wide variety of period problems, including PM irregular periods, PCOS, painful and heavy periods, missing periods, and many more. Rather than treating problems or symptoms, Nicole treats women by addressing the root cause of what's really going on in their bodies and minds. She passionately believes that the fundamentals to healing any hormonal imbalance lies in an approach that addresses the unique physiology of every woman. This is essential to reclaiming And Maintaining Optimal Health and Vitality at Any Age. Nicole is the author of Fix Your Period, Six Weeks to Banish Bloating, Conquer Cramps, Manage Moodiness, and Ignite Lasting Hormone Balance. She's also the co-author of The Happy Balance, a recipe book filled with over 80 hormone balancing recipes. And finally, she's the co-host of The Period Party, a top-rated podcast on iTunes. So be sure to tune in there if you'd like to learn more about how to fix your period. And that is exactly what we are diving into today. I know you guys are going to really love this conversation. We talk about period health, what it means to have a healthy period, what your period can tell you about your health and why ovulation is so important. We dive into period cramps and what. It might mean if you are having an irregular cycle or a missed cycle, and we also dive into different myths and misconceptions around your monthly cycle and periods. So I'm really excited for this topic today. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. So let's dive in, enjoy our episode with our guest, Nicole Jardim. Hello, Nicole. Welcome to the Healthy Hormones for Women podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here too. This is awesome. I know we're going to have a great conversation around periods and menstruation and hormones, but before we do that, can you share with our audience more about who you are and what you do?
1: Yes, I would love to. So I was probably the I don't know, I would say the poster child for period problems when I was a teenager. You know, I had all the typical symptoms, like really heavy periods, the type that you need to put a towel on your bed for (laughs) and super painful periods as well. Again, like I, you know, I remember missing school multiple times because my period was so painful that I could barely get out of bed. And instead I could just like, you know, pop my doll and uh, stay there for one or two days every month. And, you know, like all of these issues that happened, um, it was weird, you know, because they sort of happened slowly over time. Like I got my period when I was 12, everything was totally normal. I felt fine. And then as I started turning like 14, 15, I started noticing, noticing these things happening and they just progressively got worse and worse. And my mom had the same problems when she was a teenager. So she just assumed that all of this was kind of normal or, the thing that happened when you got your period, right? And yeah, you know, I know a lot of people can relate to this, for sure. And I remember what you know, what was sort of the turning point was that as I, I think I was like seventeen or so, I started to notice that my period would come every uh, two months or so. Like it was definitely not coming normally anymore. I just thought, okay, well, this is kind of a blessing in disguise. You know, all good but then it started getting worse. Like it would start to come like every three months, sometimes four months. I was basically getting a period like, I don't know, twice a year. And so finally I went to my gynecologist and she heard what I had to say. And then she immediately wrote me a prescription for the pill. And I was completely thrilled because all of my friends were on the pill. And, uh, you know, I was finally joining the ranks of all of my (laughs) pill taking friends. And I thought that (laughs) was so cool. Yeah. And, you know, and I also thought, oh, wow, this is going to be a solution, right? Because she's telling me that all of these problems can be fixed with this birth control pill. And so I started taking it and I remember, you know, feeling that first, first month, the second month, you know, period pain was reduced. The period, my period actually came on time. My uh, heavy flow was definitely reducing as well. So there's no more going to school with a pad and a tampon and biker shorts under my school uniform Wow! because, you know, I was so terrified of having a leak. And so you know, eventually, I, I I started to you know get a period that was you know even shorter, and it was so much lighter, and then there was no pain at all, and I just thought, oh wow, you know, like this is my silver bullet, like. This is it. Mm. I'm never coming off of this thing, but then everything started to switch a little bit, and so those period problems went away. But then I started having all these other health issues and you know at the time, I had no idea I did not know how the pill worked. I didn't have any clue what it was doing to my body, what it was doing to my hormones, and I got to the point where you know in my early twenties, so I'd been on the pill for a few years, and I was literally experiencing um you know these Chronic yeast infections, chronic urinary tract infections, the point where I was just, I was terrified to have sex. I was like, this is not happening. And even if I didn't want to, it didn't even matter because I had no libido anyway. (laughs) So, no libido whatsoever. And, you know, my hair was falling out. I had developed melasma all over my face. And I remember a dermatologist telling me, well, you know, this is only something that happens in pregnant women. So I don't really know what's going on with you, but here's this cream to try and deal with it kind of thing. So I remember hearing that a lot, right? Like, I have no idea what's wrong with you. I've never really seen this kind of situation before, but you know, like just try this thing or let's wait and see. And I heard that from multiple doctors. My gynecologist was a sort of revolving door because I was constantly dealing with these urinary tract infections, yeast infections. And so I went to the dermatologist and I had horrible gut health issues. I was going to see this gastroenterologist a couple of times because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and neither could they. I saw a rheumatologist because I had horrible joint pain. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. I truly felt like I was in my seventies and I was 21, 22, 23. So finally I saw an acupuncturist when I had an allergic reaction actually to a UTI medication and ended up in the ER. And I was like, F oh, this! Shoot, <laughs> I, cannot, sure. I cannot live like this anymore. And so a friend of mine suggested her acupuncturist. And that was really the turning point for my life. And I mean, you know, fast forward 20 years and here I am now, but it's been, you know, an unbelievable journey of trying to reclaim my health and trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, what all of that meant in the first place. Like, why did I have all these symptoms? And, you know, like, how do I recover from you know, having almost menopausal levels of hormones, sex hormones in particular, after coming off of the pill.
0: Absolutely. That's such a wild story, but I it's also a story that I know so many women can relate to. So I really appreciate yes. you sharing that. And so in that acupuncture appointment, like were there seeds being planted in that appointment about your hormones and your health and like more natural options? Like what was happening for you to have these like ahas of like, I have to do something different.
1: Oh girl, it's so funny you asked that because I remember him immediately, almost immediately saying to me, oh yeah, yeah, he was probably 70 years old at traditional right. Chinese medicine doctor. He was so cute. Um, anyways, he he literally said to me, I think that the birth control pill has something to do with this. And I was like, wait, what? Nobody's ever said that to me before. That's ridiculous. You know, right. because all of these symptoms were so seemingly unrelated, right? And I went to all of these different doctors with all of these specialties and no one had ever, had ever said that to me. Mm-hmm. So at first, you know how it is, right? You hear the truth and you're like, oh, no, 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 resist, resist, resist. Like, For this sure. Can't be. <laughs> yep. And then, you know, but then he started to explain it to me and it really for the first time literally in my whole life and after visiting all of these doctors, I finally understood what could be going on because he was explaining what the birth control pill does, how it regulates your you know, quote unquote regulates your cycle, like Mm -hmm. why you stop having period pain, why you stop having heavy bleeding, or why you stop having a period at all. And and so he started to explain this in in traditional Chinese terms. (laughs) So I was a little confused. But certainly it was a catalyst for everything that came after.
0: That's amazing. I love that. So, what did your healing journey sort of look like? And I can I can bet that you were probably super hesitant to come off the pill given your heavy right. flows, right? Yeah, you were probably mm-hmm. like it's all going to come back again. So, like what what did that healing journey kind of entail?
1: Well, it was terrifying. I completely agree. And, you know, I really do relate to so many women who've come to me over the years saying that, you know, they they have all these side effects, but they're absolutely terrified to come off of the pill. So I really get it. I mean, I get it from the birth control perspective and the fact that we're just not educated on how our bodies actually work and our fertility. And at the same time, I'm also so in the know about period problems and these symptoms that are completely debilitating and, you know, and take huge chunks out of your life. And so for me, it was, you know, it was confounded because it was both of those. And I remember... Um Just thinking, okay, well, you know, I'll see how this goes, like I'll do the acupuncture, I'll take the Chinese herbs, and you know, I'll eat better because I went to Whole Foods for the first time on his recommendation. <laughs> it was, so it was like an alternate universe walking in there that totally, you know, but like I remember um thinking, okay, I'm just gonna take some time and see how this works out. and he kept saying, You really have to come off the pill, you know, and so it took me a number of months, but in that time frame, it was so great because I really did make significant changes in my life. And I was in college. I was, or just graduating really from college. I was about to graduate. I was doing two internships and I, you know, like I was looking for jobs. It was, you know, bananas. And so there really was no time for this, but I was forced to make time. And I think that that's So crucial for all of us to understand that you pay the bill now or you pay later. (laughs) One way or another, you're going to have to pay up. And for me, it came much sooner than it does for most people. And so I was really forced to make massive changes, or I was going to be heading down a road that was really quite dangerous, actually. Like I was going to be very unwell. Like I remember distinctly, there were days where I just was not well at all. Like I felt like I just constantly had a cold or something. My energy was so depleted. I mean, the pill really did a number on me. So anyways, fast forward to a couple of months later, I finally am like, okay, I'm coming off this pill. I'm using a paper calendar to chart my cycle because there were no smartphones back then. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm so dating myself. And I I was like, all right, we're just going to do this and see what happens. And it was amazing because I came off and I remember, you know, it actually took a few months to get my period back. But when it came... I was terrified, but it really wasn't so bad. Like I didn't have the cramps that I used to have. It wasn't as heavy as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I didn't really have any PMS symptoms, I can remember, you know, so all of these issues that I'd been experiencing really were not anywhere near as bad, they were definitely not disruptive to my life. And so I thought, okay, cool, I've got this. And, you know, and so I continued doing acupuncture, like taking care of myself. But then I was working in film production, that was my dream job. And I remember distinctly, over time, you know, schedules were crazy. I was working 16 hour days, many weeks at a time. And, you know, I'm working on set. There's, you know, craft services has, you know, brownies at 3pm and then they have grilled cheese sandwiches at 5pm. You know, it's ridiculous. So there was no way really for me to avoid a lot of that, the stress and the food and whatnot. And things started to go downhill pretty fast. And it really wasn't until... Again, another wake up call, as we do, right? We have so many of them. Yeah. (laughs) So we're like, shoot, I got to deal with this. (laughs) But it was, I I was on set, I was working at Universal Studios, and we were shooting a Faith Hill commercial for Monday Night Football, which is kind of a big deal. And I really had to be on my game, right? I was like, I was working as a production coordinator and, you know, doing all the things because it required so many moving parts or it had so many moving parts. And, I, my production manager was calling me on the walkie and I was literally running to the bathroom because I had to throw up because I was in so much pain. I was getting my period and yeah, I know good times. And I remember literally being, I literally laid under my desk and I was curled up in a ball and I was, searching I'd been searching around for some kind of painkillers and found them and I was just waiting for them to kick in uh, because you know I was just dying. And of course I was like flooding. You know, I was changing tampons like every two hours or every hour. It was it was just ridiculous. And that again was my second like, okay, this is time to do something right. about this. And that was when I, you know, I started to discover um I got into health coaching from someone who was doing a health coaching or she was doing like a like a four week health and wellness immersion type thing and where I lived. And I was like, oh, let me try that out. And so that's how I found out about health coaching. And then I decided to, to change careers. It took me years, but I did. And that was, you know, how I ended up getting this training and, and starting to dig deeper into women's health because, you know, back then I was thinking, oh, well, if I can just help one woman
0: <laughs> right. not
1: go through what I went through, yep. then things will, be, things will be well in the world.
0: Absolutely. Wow. What a story. I can only imagine what your schedule looked like working on those sets. Oh, gentle. and your sleep. And yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. I well, know, right? Not conducive to healthy periods. That's no, sure. absolutely not. Mm-mm. But you know, you you made a change and that's huge. And you really tuned into your body. So like I really acknowledge you for that. And so just going with this topic of the birth control pill, you know, I really would love it if you can explain to our listeners like why it's so detrimental to our health and not just necessarily the pill per se, but hormonal contraceptives in general. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, I think that... When it comes to the pill, I fully recognize that you know this is something that gave me my life back. And so I understand the benefits of it in the moment when you are in such a state where you will try anything. And that is unfortunately the only option. But I think that's the problem, right? Is that it really has been presented as the only option. I can't remember who says this, but they call it the pill for all women's health ills. And right. It's so true, right? I mean, yep. it really is presented as that and so we have to, you know, we. I think it's really important for us to remember that the birth control pill, or really any form of hormonal birth control so that's the pill, the patch, the ring, um, the not necessarily the hormonal IUD because, in many cases, you might still ovulate on that, uh, but also the implant as well. And I mean Depo Provera as well. So all of these, their goal is to stop you from ovulating, right? It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Stop ovulation means you will not get pregnant, get pregnant because you right? need to ovulate <laughs> to get pregnant. That totally makes sense. Really? However, what we have failed to realize is that stopping ovulation for any length of time can be so detrimental to our overall health. And I think that the problem with that is that. There is the research there, but we've just failed to look at it and really assess it. Not all of us, but general, conventional medicine in general. Right. And so ultimately we're now in a position where you know this this medication the pill in particular is used for everything you've got irregular periods take the pill you've got painful mm-hmm. periods take the pill you have heavy periods take the pill you don't have a period take the pill and you know women are really waking up to the fact that this is not a sustainable option this is not a way that we need to be taking care of our health and you know i think that one of the interesting things about the birth control pill in particular is that you know it's referred to as A lifestyle drug. And what that really means is that, you know, really it started in the 80s, right? When pharmaceutical companies actually stopped investing in newer ways of birth control or more innovation in birth control and decided to market uh, their birth control options, the pill in particular, as um, options for you know different issues right so irregular periods or painful periods or heavy periods or pms symptoms and that was a lot easier for them right because rather than investing you know millions and millions of dollars in newer forms of birth control it was easy to just sort of repackage these as something that wasn't for or For something that wasn't as serious as birth control, and instead, you know, like you have acne, oh yeah, you should totally take this pill. Right, and so that's you know been. I think that's where this all stemmed from. So now we have you know these this vast array of birth control options on the market that are used for all of these you know quote unquote lifestyle issues, and so that's you know that is a big issue I think, and unfortunately leads to this this uh, I think um, culture of lack of informed consent, right? So we don't really know that there's anything else out there for us. And, you know, for me, that was basically what happened to me. And it really wasn't until I experienced all of these side effects that really, I mean, I will say it, it felt like it was ruining my life at the time. I really didn't understand um, that there was another way. And so that's the goal, right? For all of us, that's our work is to show people that there actually is another way. And there's a way out of this suffering and you don't have to, you don't have to live like this and you don't have to be dependent on a pharmaceutical drug. I mean, that's not to say that if you have something like endometriosis or, you know, you have another condition that you might not want to use the pill at some point, like it is appropriate in some cases, for instance, if you've had endometriosis surgery or excision surgery, the birth control pill is prescribed for that. Uh, Afterwards. Um, So I understand that. And again, you would want to work with your doctor on something like that. But generally speaking, if we have period related problems, you know, we don't have a period, we have short cycles, we have too long cycles, we have mood problems, um, headaches, uh, you know, heavy periods, painful periods, all of these issues should not be solved with a pill because. You're going to have to be in that pill forever, basically. And once it, once you're off of it, you've basically just been ignoring the fire that's been raging, kind of yes. close the door on that, rather than putting the fire out. And that's really what we need to do. And so, you know, like this idea of, you know, our friend, Dr. Jolene Brighton, she coined this term, or she talks about this idea of post-birth control syndrome. And this is, I feel like this is really a thing and it just looks different for different people, right? Like you could have, you could come off the pill and not have a period. I had a client recently who hadn't had a period for 14 years after coming off the pill.
0: Oh my God. That's a long time. Yeah,
1: I know. Right. I know. And she got it back after doing my Fix Your Period program, which Yay. I was like, oh my gosh, that's like the best thing ever. I mean, 14 years is insane. And what I think it's unprecedented right now because of the fact that we have all, you know, we have now collectively been on the pill for multiple decades. Like this has never really happened before in history where women were on it for so long. Whereas before, you know, in the sixties and seventies, it was used to help you and when you were going to have kids and, you know, and plan timing between children and whatnot, but you never really were on it for, you know, for two, three decades at a time, whereas now we are, and we're on it at such young ages as well long before your endocrine system has even gotten a chance to get to where it needs to go in terms of maturity. Right. So there's, you know, there are multiple issues here. And like when we talk about, you know, the side effects in particular, you know, we have, we have major connections with our gut health, right? And I've seen it anecdotally in my own practice. I've seen it with other practitioners I talked to. And, you know, for me, I had these chronic yeast and bacterial infections while I was on the pill and then the urinary tract infections too. But that was more of an estrogen thing. And so, like, when you come off the pill, you kind of think, oh, this is going to resolve itself. But it doesn't necessarily because the pill impacts your gut health. I mean, there's a connection to Crohn's disease and inflammatory bowel disease. And, you know, if we have a genetic predisposition to, you know, chronic gastrointestinal disease, then we may be up to three times more likely, I think, to develop a condition like this, like Crohn's disease when we're on the pill for, you know, they say for at least five years. So this is a big problem. The pill also is linked to what they call higher lipid peroxidation, which is a measure of oxidative stress, right? Inflammation in the body. And so it's interesting when you administer antioxidants, that actually lowers that inflammation. So clearly that's happening as well. And it also is connected to insulin resistance. So this is another, you know, another marker for Inflammation in the body, so we really have to think about what exactly this pill is doing. You know, going under the that's going under the radar during this whole time that we're taking it.
0: That's crazy. I'm sure so many women right now are thinking, you know, well then, how come it's so easy when I walk into my doctor's office, they don't say any of this. They just it's so easy for them to hand me the pack of pills and send me on my way. Like nobody warns me about this. I know. I agree.
1: And I mean, I certainly wasn't warned. I I kind of same. I mean, I, right? I know. Yeah. I kind of joke that like those little. The, the box that it comes in, and the very long pamphlet <laughs> once you open yeah. it out, usually goes right into the garbage bin yes. i mean I don't, I' don't look at that stuff because we trust our doctors and I think again, this comes back to a cultural thing right and I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this too, because I feel as children you know we're taken to the doctor, we get that really yummy cough medicine when we have a cold or a cough, right. and uh, you know it's you get a balloon or like a lollipop or something, and so you I think from a lot from an early age, we are culturally conditioned to trust doctors. They're going to fix us. They're going to make us better. And you go home, you take your medication, and in a couple of days, you're usually better. And so it's great for these short term issues like a cold or the flu. It's not so great for these uh, long term uh, system like systemic. Uh, problems that we experience as as teenagers and adults, right, which are rooted in uh, lifestyle issues. So that's you know the diet stuff, the stress, our gut health, things like that. Absolutely. And, right. And so when we start to go to the doctor as a teenager or an adult for something that's been going on for more than three or four months at a time, which is considered chronic, right. um, then you know what. Like, what are they going to do? And so they're just going to hand you what they know. And I agree, though, like this idea that we're not told about the symptoms or we're not told about the side effects, sorry, that we might experience is so unfortunate. And, you know, it comes back to this idea of informed consent, right? Like we should know about all the different options for, you know, for addressing these problems, we should also know about the different forms of birth control that are available as well. I mean, we know that the fertility awareness-based methods are conveniently left out because they've been sort of put into this category of very unreliable and it's so unfortunate, right? Because those are to me, the safest and some of the most effective methods. And yet we're just not told about them and we're not told about side effects. And I always kind of talk about this idea of, you know, are some of us just collateral damage, right? Because I've had people on my podcast talking about, uh, you know, one guy in particular talked about his daughter. He started a foundation actually, and his daughter had died of a pulmonary. Pulmonary embolism or a blood clot from being on the birth control pill. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And it's, I mean, it's unreal, right? And he's just like, you just never recover. You never. It's impossible. It's the only way I was able to go on was to try and educate other people, and that was where this foundation came in. And you know, I talked about that with him. This idea of some of us are just collateral damage when it comes to uh, the effectiveness and the side effects of of certain medications and. I just think it's unacceptable because so many girls and women die from blood clots and, you know, not all of them are reported as being caused by hormonal contraceptives. And yet we continue to go on just prescribing it willy nilly. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's definitely heartbreaking for sure. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you said, it's, it's, as women like we really need to start to tune in and improve our own body literacy really and just become you know confident in our choices and what's right for us and what's not right for us and be able to be open and willing to have that conversation with our doctor like i was just recently having a conversation with somebody just the other day who said to me you know i thought all these symptoms were in my head i'm experiencing a lot of stomach pains and tons of cramping around my cycle and I'm on the pill and my hair's falling out and I don't have a libido. And I asked my doctor if it was the pill and he said no. And then I asked him if I can get off of it. And he also said no. It's like, oh, yeah. And it's just like, oh, you know, just like really hits me. And I'm just like, well, this is where I feel like now my responsibility, your responsibility, like as coaches, like this is the information and the message that we need to get out there is so that at the end of the day, like you ultimately need to make your own choice and feel confident and knowledgeable enough about your body to be able to do that.
1: amen. I completely agree with you. I know. And, you know, when you think about it, right, like we were saying, this, you know, this idea of you go to the doctor, the doctor's going to fix you, and you're going to be good as new. And we have really... Sort of inadvertently been taught that that is the way things work. And unfortunately, the side effect of that is that we have tuned out that voice, right? That, that inner yes. wisdom, the voice inside of you telling you that something's up, right? To actually tune into these symptoms. And we have lost trust in ourselves and our body's wisdom. And I think that it's a big part of this, of reclaiming your health, is reclaiming that, is listening to that voice, even if it's just a whisper at this point.
0: For sure, absolutely. So let's talk about some non-hormonal birth control options. What are some of your favorites?
1: Ooh, yes. Okay. Well, (laughs) you know, I have been so obviously, I started with the wall calendar a long time ago. And eventually, I remember I got an iPhone and it had a little app on it that I think it was just like, it was built into the iPhone at the time. So this was a long time ago. Gosh, it was like 13 or 14 years ago whenever the first iPhone came out. And it had this little little app in it that had a calendar and it had a temperature thing, which I was so excited about. I did not know
0: this. iPhone had that?
1: Yes, it did. I know. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was built. In, they had like some sort of toolbox. Maybe it wasn't actually, you know what? I lie. It was not the <laughs> iPhone. It was it's not a- in the iPhone. Like it was not in their software. It was like a toolbox software of some kind. And it had like a calendar and it had a tape measure thing and it had all cool. of these random yeah. little tools. Right? right. And one of them was, weirdly enough, a period tracker. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't understand. I know. Who knows? I have desperately searched for this thing because I'm just like, how did I not screenshot this? Like how did I not From that many a years record of too. this? Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. Such good information that I lost. Anyway. So the point is, is that I had this and so I was, I was so excited. This is a revolution for me. No more wall calendar. And <laughs> so I started using that and, and then I started to learn about the fertility awareness method and what that was. And so for me, I, you know, I've had such a good relationship with this method of birth control that I, you know, I sing its praises to everyone who will listen. And, you know, so basically for anyone who doesn't know, this is, a uh, a form of birth control and there are multiple different types of the, this method. So it's called fertility awareness based methods. The method that I like and use is called a symptothermal method. And so you're taking, Uh, A note every day of your basal body temperature, which is your temperature first thing upon awakening. Uh, You're also noting down your cervical fluid patterns, which change quite dramatically throughout those phases of your cycle because your cervix is so hormone dependent. And then of course, um, you're also potentially, you don't have to, looking at your cervix. So you're feeling for your cervix to see if it's moved because it actually changes position depending again where you are on your cycle. And in addition to all of that too, you're tapping back into that body wisdom, right? You're tuning into... That little voice that's still there mm-hmm. uh, by paying attention to your symptoms. So, do you have PMS? Do you spot before your period? Do you spot at ovulation? Do you? How long is your period? Um, you know, how heavy do you or how heavy is it? How much do you bleed? So, all of these kinds of symptoms that come with your period and throughout your cycle, you're paying attention to as well, so that you can become the premier expert on your body. And it's an unbelievably life changing
0: practice. That's amazing. Awesome. So tell us more about the temperature. I know a lot of women get confused here about what temperature they should be looking for and the dips and the rises.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh, I know. I find it so overwhelming sometimes because when you first of all when you think, "Oh my gosh, Nicole, you're going to tell me that I have to take my temperature every yeah, morning every day." I know. <laughs> I'm just like, "I know, but it honestly takes about the same amount of time as it does to take your pill." <laughs> so totally. it's really not that bad. It's and so usually true. like So one of the things you can do is, first of all, you want to get a basal temperature or basal thermometer, and you can find those on Amazon. You can find them in some pharmacies as well. And the difference is that that thermometer will measure your temperature in hundredths of a degree rather than tenths of a degree, which is a regular thermometer. However, don't stress if you only have a regular thermometer, you can use that too. So you've used that and you're taking your temperature First thing upon awakening, right? So you don't even get out of bed. You just take it right away. So it's the same as if you were to take a pill or you were to look at your phone. Right. I always recommend women they to set an alarm that says temperature on it or take temperature on it so that they know and they're reminded. And I promise you, you get into the habit so quickly. It's so not a big deal. And the things to remember in particular are that you want to take your temperature at least after three hours of consecutive sleep. You also want to try and take it at the same time roughly every morning. And also to keep in mind that if you drink alcohol, if you have like any kind of air travel, um, if you've eaten really late at night possibly, all of these things are going to impact your Uh, they're going to impact your temperature. So just keep all of those in mind. But I think one of the most important things about all of this is that this is going to tell you whether you've ovulated or not. And I don't recommend doing this, this, using this method without consulting with a trained fertility awareness for sure practitioner. Right. Um, but yes, like I really think that it's one of those things that can tell you so much, right? Because your temperature is dependent on multiple different factors. And in fact, I actually have women who are unable to get thyroid testing, if they're having symptoms of thyroid problems i have them take their basal temperature to mm-hmm. see whether it's you know on the higher side or it's on the lower side and so what you're really looking for is temperatures somewhere between like 97 degrees and 97.7 degrees before you ovulate, and then temperatures that rise up over 97.8 degrees and above uh, after you ovulate. And so once you will know you've ovulated once your temperature has risen two-tenths of a degree above those previous pre-ovulatory temperatures. And again, this is a game changer. Like you will actually know whether you've ovulated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so massive. And like I was saying with the thyroid, if your temperatures are consistently below, you know, like 97.3 and down into the 96s, you know, consistently that could be an indicator of hypothyroidism or something's going on with your thyroid and it's not working optimally. And then subsequently, if you experience temperatures that are in the 98 degrees, uh, and this is Fahrenheit. Sorry, I know you're Canadian. It's okay. <laughs> I have the, okay. I should have had the Celsius numbers in front of me. Don't but, worry about it. You know, I know everyone can translate these. It's not that hard. I so use yes. I use Fahrenheit, so I'm good. You do? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Awesome. I, it's easier because the numbers look different on the chart. So to me, it's easier. But it's it's all good. Everyone can translate them. Totally. Um, so yes, like if your temperature is over 98 degrees consistently before you ovulate, then that could be a sign that maybe you're in a hyperthyroid state or your thyroid is overactive. Again, that's not a diagnosis, but it's a really cool tool to use uh, for your own self-exploration.
0: Yeah, it, it really is cool. And I mean, once you have like three to four months of data and you can go back and look at this, like there's so much you can learn about your health and your hormones. It's pretty cool.
1: Right? Oh my God. I know. I'm obsessed it. with it. I feel like it's just so cool. And when women see that, when they see that spike, they're just like, wow, this is incredible. Like I had no idea. I actually had a woman reach out to me the other day and she was freaking out about the fact that she thought she had an infection because she was like, I saw a string of discharge, you know, hanging out of my vagina into the toilet. And I had no idea what was going on. Oh my. And I was just like, girl, I can relate. Cause I used to be that person too. I definitely used to think I had an infection every single month as a teenager.
0: Right. Nobody
1: there was nobody to tell me that this was normal. And you know, so like when you are ovulating and your cervical fluid is changing which it does quite dramatically around this time. Right. Uh you would you'll know like you'll know that that's what's going on. Yes. And with your temperature you're just confirming that this is actually happening. And so for everyone who doesn't know when estrogen is rising in that first half of your cycle in preparation for ovulation, you're actually going to see a significant change in your cervical fluid. It's going to take on this wetter consistency it's going to possibly be watery or you know like creamy or stretchy between your fingers it might get clear and egg white like it's why they call it egg white cervical fluid and you know that will actually dramatically change again once you ovulate once progesterone kicks in progesterone is now that heat-inducing heat hormone so it's going to raise your basal temperature after ovulation And it actually shuts down your cervix for business, really. It's like, okay, we're done now. And your cervix dries up. You start to feel this sticky, tacky sensation. You'll notice it maybe is your cervical fluid is like creamy maybe. And then like it will, or potentially even dry up. And so these are marked changes throughout your cycle that you can use to your advantage. And like you were saying, having this information for years, I mean, this kind of data, it's just so cool. Like my goddaughter got her period about almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. I was so excited for her because (laughs) I was like, you can track from the very first period you've ever had in your whole life. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. Right. I mean, like, can you imagine having that kind of information? It would be so cool.
0: Oh, I love that. Did she look at you like you have like three heads or something?
1: We were we were on the phone. I'm sure she was fully mortified by the whole thing. I am just I poor thing. I just was thrilled. I even sent her, you know, a period box. I was just I was so psyched about all of it. Oh, that's yeah.
0: so sweet. Amazing. I know,
1: right? The stuff is so fun. I mean, it's fun for us. We live vicariously of through course. them because we've been doing this for a while now. We're not in that preteen period of complete mortification by every single thing that happens. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. But she's so lucky to have you. So that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Yes. I love it. So your book, <laughs> Fix Your Period. Yes. So excited for it. So I'm assuming you dive deeper into temperature and cervical mucus and all of that into your book and women can definitely check it out there.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: But speaking of fixing your period, you know, there are so many different areas to look at when it comes to period health and balancing hormones from gut health to thyroid health and blood sugar management and your food. You know, where do you really suggest women start and why?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that the first thing is to track your cycle. Like we were just talking about, I think again, like once you kind of know what's normal for you and what's not, that is going to be, I think an important first step. So I always suggest people do that. And I think that, you know, you can find all of that in the first part of the book. I, I talk about it at length. And I think the second thing is kind of knowing what a period actually is, right? Like what it is and what's normal anyway. And so I, I often say to women, you know, we got to know the basics, right? So you've got to know like how long your period should be and you know, what, how long your cycle should be and how much blood loss is normal and, and those kinds of things to really be able to start to even determine whether you have a problem or not. I guess I imagine you get this too. Like a lot of women say to me, is you know I'll, they'll share this whole anecdote about what's going on with them and then they'll say is this normal right yep <laughs> yes. absolutely yeah and so you know i always say like the basics are first of all you know how long should your menstrual cycle be and so i say to women that i really like to see a cycle that's 25 to 35 days long and that that is your whole menstrual cycle for anyone who's listening so period right. and then all the phases and if it's below that, then what I find is that you know it tends to it tends to mean that you have too short of a luteal phase—that's that second half of your cycle—and or um, you know it's associated with heavier periods, longer periods, more blood clots, um, that kind of those kinds of issues. Whereas if you have a longer cycle over 35 days consistently, what I find is that's associated with something like polycystic ovary syndrome or another condition or issue that's causing you to not ovulate as consistently as we would like you to. So I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as, you know, parameters for how long a cycle should be. And also thinking about, you know, not having it be too all over the place, because that's the other thing that I see a lot of, like one month, it's 24 days the next month, it's 36 days and, you know, and so on and so forth. And so, I really like to see a period that is is more consistent. So it's really only fluctuating by you know two or three days every cycle. Meaning that you know if you got your period on day twenty eight this month, then you and you got it on day thirty one the next month, and then day twenty seven the next month. That's okay as long as it's within that window, because that means to me that you're ovulating really regularly each month. And if you know you have an arbitrary month where that doesn't happen, then it's likely that maybe you're food wasn't as great, or your stress was a little crazy that month or something like that, or you had a lot of air travel or something. So it's good to think of it like that as well, so that there's just not a lot of variation. And then with your period, how long it should be and what it should look like, I think we should all keep in mind that, you know, ideally or you know according to the evidence that exists somewhere between 3 and 7 days is what you're looking for and so if you have a period that's 2 days long and you feel amazing and you've always had a 2 day period go on with your bad self like it's fine but you know like but if you suddenly had a 5 day period and it's dropped to 2 days then you've got to start to look at that and see what could be going on there and subsequently if you have an eight day long period or longer you got to be looking at what could be going on there too and that's where tracking your cycle really comes in because you can you can track all these symptoms so i think that you know again 3 to 7 days and a lot of women also ask me about what their blood should look like and i always say you know that sometimes what you'll see is like darker blood or brown blood in the beginning which is just usually older blood or slower moving blood that has oxidized and has become this brownish rusty color. And, you know, that's not necessarily completely harmless, but it's also one of those things that I think that we should know about. And, you know, you really want to be looking for some color along the red range. (laughs) So it doesn't need to be fire engine red, but it needs to be, you know, like a, a, I like to see a vibrant type of red, even if it's a little bit darker. That's okay. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, spotting before your period. If you spot for a day or two before your period, that's okay. But anything longer than that could signify a lower progesterone state in many cases. So those are the things I think that are important for us to know about. And you know, when trying to think about what's normal and what's not, and when it comes to actually dealing with period problems, you know, I often get asked like well you know what foods will raise progesterone or how do i lower my estrogen or what can i do to boost my testosterone and things like that and what i've realized over the years of doing this work is that you can't really do that you can't really spot treat these symptoms right we can't right. just treat one hormone because as you well know our hormones are all talking to each other all day long through the endocrine glands in the endocrine system and so if we're you know we're just focused on one hormone First of all, we don't even know why that hormone is out of whack in the first place. And secondly, we're just arbitrarily throwing a solution at it, right? We're taking Vitex or we're taking DIM, or, right. you know, we're doing whatever. And I think like what it comes back to is this whole body approach. And I recognize that that is a way bigger effort to make than it is to just say, take DIM or try Vitex or Maca or one of these different um, supplements but we can't out-supplement a bad diet. We can't out-supplement a lifestyle that is not sustainable, that is not suitable for our overall health. Right. So yeah, there's multiple ways to do this and I could go on, but I'm going to (laughs) stop. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's all good. Yeah. And it's a question. I get asked questions like that daily as I'm sure that you do too. And sometimes there's a part of me that's like, ah, I feel like a jerk for not like suggesting something, but at the end of the day, I'm I'm really doing the right thing because you you do have to look at health history. And you know, that's why we do the Dutch hormone test and we look deeper at women's hormones. Like you really need to see the full picture because otherwise it just becomes a band-aid approach. So
1: totally I could not agree with you more. I know. And that's really it, right? It's like the band-aid approach. And it's the same thing that we were talking about earlier with, you know, when all of these issues are happening, you could take the pill, um and they would likely go away, but all of these other problems are gonna are gonna crop up, and it's the same if you're just treating low progesterone because you don't know if your low progesterone is caused by an excessive amount of stress in your life and you're not ovulating or ovulating consistently because of that stress, because that impacts your ovarian function, or could it be that there's something going on with your gut health and that's impacting your ovarian function or nutrient deficiencies? I mean, I could go on. And so we really, you know, it it really does take you down a whole rabbit hole. And that's why, you know, it really, like I was saying, it really does require this uh, very systematic approach. And, so in the book and, you know, in my Fix Your Period program, I've always worked women through this. And it really just starts with the thing you have the most control over, which is the food that you're eating. Absolutely.
0: Yes. Okay. Let's dive into that. Aha, yes. Food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do we eat? What do we not eat? I mean, you know, it's obviously so, so much bigger than just that. And everybody is so bio-individual. So, um, you know, let's just chat about what ideally an optimal diet really looks like for supporting hormonal health and our cycle.
1: Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because there is no one right way, is there?
0: Nope.
1: (laughs) No, I know. I keep learning that one too. And I feel like it's, you know, this approach to to food that we have nowadays has, I feel, left so many of us completely confused and we're kind of just like throwing up our hands in exasperation and just saying, screw it, I'm just not even going to try because it feels so overwhelming. And what I think we have to keep in mind is that the evidence shows that you could eat the same food as your best friend and it could have a different effect on you than it does on your friend. And right. so for most of us, we don't really realize that. And all of these diet books out there basically say that they've got the solution, but they're not really taking the individual into account. And so I have found, and again, this is you know to speak a little bit to what I said earlier about tuning back into your own wisdom and your own body's communication system and paying attention to how you feel after you eat. I mean, there's a revolutionary idea. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, you know, like I've had women say to me, and this is certainly not to make anyone feel bad, but like, because it's just that we just don't know, right? We don't know that we have to actually listen to ourselves. And we've been so programmed to look outside of ourselves for solutions. And so, you know, I've had women say, well, you know, I went on this keto diet and I, you know, I don't feel that great i also lost my period and you know is this this kind of normal and we're not speaking about this kind of stuff and i think that it it is now being spoken about more but it is certainly something that is a problem and so what i would say is that yeah you could try different diets like i'm all for experimentation to see what works especially if something isn't working you've got to try different things i'm like the queen of experimentation as i'm sure we all are really But, you know, I think that this idea of, you know, very basically coming back to what it is that, you know, works for your body requires you to just simplify your life. Like, I don't know that we need any complex diets per se. I mean, some of us may do, but generally speaking, if you're reading my book or, you know, you're just online looking for solutions to these period issues that I've been talking about, you know, ultimately I, you know, I try to keep it simple. Like, in my programs and what I've been talking about for the, over the years. Is you know just making your plate with you know half the plate is carbohydrates, mostly vegetables, uh, a quarter is some sort of fat, and a quarter is protein, and just making it really simple and seeing if that works for you. Right. And yeah, and like not you know not overcomplicating it because we've already overcomplicated it, and everyone is super confused and frustrated, and they don't know what to do. And I think there's just so much conflicting information out there that at the end of the day you just have to come back to what makes you feel good. And so when we're talking about you know what to put on your plate, I am a big fan of again the basics like in that carbohydrate section of your plate, what's in there, can you use mostly uh, leafy green or green vegetables in that that space, and maybe you know some rice or some sweet potato or a regular potato or something like that. And then you know having a healthy protein source. So we're talking about if it's you know animal protein, making sure that if to the best of your ability, is this a pasture? Is this pasture raised? Is this grass fed? Um, Wild caught? Something along those lines. And then for the fat, like can you add in some avocado? Can you put some olive oil on your? Veggies, Uh, you know, can you bring in some nuts and seeds? So all of those or all of that combination is going to help keep your blood sugar stable, which is a whole other thing, right? I mean, blood sugar isn't right. I know, I feel like it's like the thing I
0: focus on so much, and it's so like unsexy. So, not cute. Yeah. It's just, I not. wish we
1: cared as much about blood sugar as we do about the latest cute shoes that we just have to buy. I totally. mean, yeah, I know exactly, or what's in our bank account or whatever. Yeah. But it's true because I feel like you're, we're, I, we're a bit of a blood sugar disaster, aren't we?
0: These days. Totally. Yeah. Well, with every like fast food joint on every corner and boxed food and package, you know, it's just, of course, that's why we have so many issues.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you. I know we, it's so unfortunate because I think back to what our ancestors must've been doing. <laughs> yep. I can, I mean, there's just no comprehension of what it is that we're consuming now versus what we were consuming a thousand years ago. I mean, it's just, we're, we may as well be living on different planets and, oh, I guess we kind of are a little bit, but, for sure, know, we've, right? And I think that we're just at the point where, we again need to check in with ourselves and use tools that are available. And so in the book, I talk about, uh, you know, blood sugar testing, because really when we think about blood sugar, we really think about diabetics, right? We think about type one or type two diabetes. We never really think about it as affecting just any old woman. (laughs) We just don't think of that. And yet, uh, I don't know that I've ever had a client come to me who's had regular blood sugar after doing some testing to figure out, you know, what's happening. And that's not exactly surprising, but you know, when it comes to blood sugar, I think that what for anyone who doesn't understand or doesn't know, you know, if you eat something that doesn't agree with your metabolism or your body, your blood sugar is going to go way higher than it should. And ultimately what, you know, I'd like to see is blood sugar somewhere between 70 and 85 that's fasting blood sugar before you eat anything during the beginning of the day and then after that you know you really don't want it to go up more than 25 points after you've eaten a meal and that is rather difficult to do in our modern world i mean it's not difficult but it is difficult in the sense that you know when you're accustomed to eating a certain way you might be shocked and i actually just had a client who was in my program the other day say to me that she you know she had ridiculously painful periods and could not figure out what to do with them. She was a coach and she finally you know, she tried a bunch of different things and she finally started getting her blood sugar under control. She started testing it. Her blood sugar was going up into the 160s when she was eating foods that she thought were actually really good for her. And that's the other thing, right? You don't know till you know, you don't know until you've actually like looked below the surface. And she, two months in and she'd had her second period uh, that did not require painkillers, like pharmaceutical grade painkillers. And she was just, she was blown away by this. And it so for us, it's like just the simplest thing, but we don't, you know, it's not something that's on our radars for the most part.
0: It's true. You know, I love that you're talking about this because it's also a huge component that I addressed in my book. And, and even with like a yeah. lot of our coaching clients and our online programs, like we have so many women that are like, oh my God, I have normal blood sugar ranges that I haven't seen in years, just like three weeks into your program, you know? And it's- So exciting. It is. It's so exciting. And I mean, the information that like the American Diabetes uh, Diabetes Association puts out there, like for, oh, they say that for, like if you have diabetes, you want to keep your blood sugar between 100 and 140. And that is freaking (laughs) high. Like, I know. That is high people. So- Yeah and it's amazing what food can really do to lower that. And, yes. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be complicated.
1: It really doesn't. And you know, for anyone who, you know, doesn't even doesn't think that there's any connection or really understand, I think again we have to keep in mind that insulin is a really powerful hormone. This is the hormone that's going to govern your blood sugar. It's going to tell your body what to do with all that that sugar in your blood. And so if insulin is constantly on this roller coaster with your blood sugar. If you're eating foods that don't work for your body, uh, we're going to have problems. And what people don't realize is that there are insulin receptors on your ovaries. Your ovaries are governed to a degree by what's happening with the insulin in your body. Again, this interconnection. And you know what happens in many cases with insulin, in particular, when it comes to this estrogen dominance that so many women experience, is that. Insulin actually partly a cause of estrogen dominance because it raises the activity of an enzyme called aromatase, which is responsible for converting testosterone into estrogen. And if insulin levels are normal, that conversion happens at a normal rate. If insulin is is rising, that, that conversion increases. So the higher your insulin, the higher your estrogen potentially, which would pave the way for Uh, all of these symptoms that one might experience with estrogen dominance, you know, like the chronic PMS symptoms, the heavy periods, the sore boobs, the migraines or the headaches. I mean, all of these symptoms that basically, I don't know a single woman who doesn't experience (laughs) at this point. So it's really important for us to keep that in mind too. Like this interconnection is exactly what is driving a lot of, uh, you know, the symptoms that we're experiencing.
0: Absolutely. And I know you have a lot of great recipes in your book too. And so let's dive into this new book of yours, which is so exciting. I'm sure there are so many women out there who are just like, finally, she has a book. <laughs> oh, really? Oh my gosh. I would like to believe that. So <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I'm one of those people. Trust me. Oh, I'm like, oh my God, you. I'm so excited. So tell us about your new book, Fix Your Period.
1: You know, I will, I should start by saying, wow, we I know we were talking about this before we started recording, but I have to just say I'm completely in awe of people who write books. I cannot get over it. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I mean, I kind of knew, but you just don't know till you know. Yep, totally. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I walk into bookstores now with a whole, through looking at it through a whole new lens. Yep. Like who are these hundreds (laughs) of thousands of people who've written books? Like y'all are amazing and crazy at the same time.
0: Deepak Chopra has like written 90 books or something like that. Wait, are you
1: serious? Yeah, (laughs) I,
0: I think he's written 90 books. I heard that on like a podcast the other day. I was like, there is no way that he has physically written those books. Like he must have a clearly a ghostwriter at this point in his career, but I was like 90. That's insane.
1: That is totally insane to me too. I really, I'm deep bow. That's all I can say because (laughs) wow, just wow. I mean, this thing is 400 pages and I know people write much bigger books and with much more research in them. So anyway, the point is though, is that i literally put everything I've got into this book. I remember last year, there were way more days than I can count that I spent like 16 hours of those days. You know, I literally would go to sleep at one in the morning after working all day and then wake up at 7 a.m., start at eight and do it all over again. Aww. It was just bananas, but it's all good because here we are. Um, and you know, like when I, when I was coming up with this, the concept and trying to figure out what would make the most sense, I realized that what I wanted to do was to actually put a formula, like a program or protocol into the book. And so that's kind of how this came about. And so it's, you know, six weeks to quote unquote, fix your period. And I obviously recognize that it takes a little bit longer, but big publishing companies like you to have some kind of plan. (laughs) So that's what happens. Absolutely. And so it's, you know, the six weeks to fix your period. And I'm really walking you through the basic tenets of my bigger overarching fix your period program and that's enlisting the power of food to feed your hormones and stepping off of the blood sugar roller coaster like we were just talking about and fixing your gut to fix your hormones. I mean, this is, you know, I could have written a four hundred page book on that alone, as you well know, right? Totally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I actually was just talking about this on Instagram today, you know, just this idea of you cannot really address your hormonal health issues without taking a hard look at your gut and starting to figure out what's going on there. Because for the most part, if you have gut health problems, you're going to have hormonal issues. So that's a big component of this. And then working on your liver next to your gut because your liver is responsible for breaking down and helping to excrete the hormones that have been used by your body. So it's kind of like the body's housekeeper and it'll clean things out. And so if your liver doesn't have the right nutrients to support its detoxification pathways, what's going to happen. The housekeeper is overworked and underpaid and is just going to quit. And so we end up with hormonal issues because of our livers as well. And then from there, we move into stress hacks because I joke that we live in the age of chronic overstimulation. Although I don't know that that's even a joke. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) So true. And then from there, the final component is your thyroid and supporting your thyroid for healthier periods, because this is often so overlooked as being, you know, a really key component of what's going on with your period problems. So that's the gist of it, like what's happening. And you know, again, I am a big fan of I'm a Virgo, so I like to over explain <laughs> things and I love bullet points and step by steps, and so I really walk people <laughs> through just what's going on because I just remember I was channeling my 21 year old self who really couldn't get any answers from any of the doctors I would visited. And so here I am now just laying it all out for you all
0: <laughs> in this book. <laughs> oh, well, that's amazing. And I mean, I'm lucky that I got a advanced PDF copy. I'm very excited for that. So I've been going through it and it's so amazing. And I appreciate you sharing all of that wisdom. And I know that your community is as well. So Thank you for those 16-hour days. I hope your hormones have been able to recoup from that.
1: Oh, Samantha. Yes, I know. We're, we're a little bit in the PTSD place still, but it's all good. We're, totally. we're getting there.
0: Awesome. So where can our listeners find your book? When is it officially available? Tell us more about that.
1: Yes. So it's out on April 28th and it's actually out in the U S Canada and the UK on that date, which is kind of cool. And, um, you can find everything on fixyourperiod.com. I made it easy for people. <laughs> so I have a ton of amazing book bonuses. You get a free course. Uh, you also get like all the handouts that are, that I mention in the book, as well as additional training and a whole bunch of other goodies. So you can find that there, uh, fixyourperiod.com. And you can just enter your receipt number from wherever you purchase the book. You'll get all of that, that good stuff. And yes, it'll be
0: out on April 28th. Amazing. Well, we will have all of this in our show notes. And I can't wait for our listeners to get their hands on your amazing book. And outside of that, where can our listeners find you?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on NicoleJardim.com. I have a blog where I extensively ad nauseum talk about this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also find me on Instagram. I'm Nicole M like Madeline Jardim. Someone took Nicole Jardin before I could get to it, unfortunately. It. <laughs> you know, I know, right? It's always that. So you can find me on there. I'm on there pretty much every day. I'm on stories and I'm sharing all of the information that's on my blog and I'm talking about on, in the book and everywhere on Instagram too. So I, the place works great.
0: Amazing. Yes. And you do post awesome content on Instagram. So I do encourage everyone to go follow you over there. So (laughs) Why, thank you. Same to you. (laughs) Thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And I really acknowledge you for all your hard work and for sharing this message with the world. And thanks for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Samantha. So appreciate you
0: having me on. My pleasure. Thank you everybody for tuning in today. I really hope you found this podcast episode valuable and we would love it if you can share it with friends and family and anybody in your life that can benefit from today's message. Do make sure to follow Nicole over on Instagram at Nicole M. You can also check out her website, NicoleJardin.com and make sure to grab her book, Fix Your Period, Six Weeks to Banish Bloating, Conquer Cramps manage moodiness and ignite lasting hormone balance. I know you guys are going to love the book and it's also filled with over 80 hormone balancing recipes that I know are going to be delicious. I can't wait to get my copy on the, of the book and be able to dive in myself. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll chat with you all next week.